Welcome to Reading Mission, a live book club podcast where we read some of our favourite books about mission, justice and social change together. My name's Emily and with me is Mitch. Hello. Before we keep going, let's pause and acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands and waters of Australia and pay our respects to elders past and present. We recognise their continuing connections to land, water and culture. So, Emily, what are we reading tonight? Tonight, we are up to Chapter 4 of Gondwana Theology and... We have read and are going to discuss on racism and the Trinity. So tonight as we continue, uh, we are continuing our exploration of Gondwana theology. In this chapter, Gary shares his personal experience of racism, theology of the Trinity, and how both these things tie together, uh, and how the Feast of the Trinity and what we call Reconciliation Week often overlap um, in our calendars. A little so bit of trivia for you. Very fascinating conversation. Yeah. I know. Um Definitely going to be an interesting conversation tonight. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah. But before we dive into that, Mitch, what has been your bright spot? Well, like many people around this great nation of ours, I have decided I am passionate about soccer and have been watching the Matildas <laughs> play in the World Cup. Um I, What? No. <laughs> I have now officially watched... Two soccer games to completion. <laughs> Excellent. Um, it's just been it's been a lot of fun. What getting on the bandwagon, getting on the hype train, um, and supporting the Matildas. And look, uh, fourth overall, pretty amazing result. Best result Australia's ever had in a World Cup, to my knowledge. And it's just been a lot of fun to watch. <laughs> it has been your. Uh- Limited knowledge of soccer. My extremely limited knowledge. Um, so, so I have I have two things. When I when I, when I watch AFL, I also I don't know if you've uh, picked up on this, but I'm not a very sporty person. Um, really? No, no, no. Esports is your vibe? No, 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 no. It's not much like following sport. It's too hard to follow sport. There's too much that happens. <laughs> following sport is a full time job. So. My thing when I watch AFL is whenever something happens, I'll yell gone because 30% of the time, that's the right thing to yell, apparently. In soccer, <laughs> uh, whenever something happens, I'll just yell offside. 30% of the time, that's the right thing to yell. It's great. That's the tricks. There you go. This is the tricks. This is- I, I, I didn't even yell stuff. It was more as they were going to score a truck. Try. You can tell that I grew up in league country. <laughs> goal. Goal is the yeah. correct terminology yeah. for this sport. <laughs> Going to score a goal. I was just up on my feet cheering. But did you catch the uh, the semi uh, against uh, England? England. Yeah. Did, did you watch that one? Did you see Sam Kerr's goal? That was in that match Saturday night, right? Yeah, that was no, no, that no, was what? that no, 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 that was Wednesday. Wednesday. It was a week ago. Yes. Yes. Did I watch it? I did watch. Yes. 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 And yes. You saw That's Sam what I'm talking Kier- about. Yeah, oh my you saw gosh. Sam my- goal Sorry, was- my brain is like so weird, and I just like, what is dance? Yeah. Um, yes, I did watch that. I went with a group of people and watched it, and Amazing. that was the goal. And I was, that was like, yeah, it was there was so, so good. many that she. I was so disappointed that she just like missed a couple. I know. Like, oh, I know. So but it's been so gutted. fun. But yeah, that's absolutely been my bright spot is uh, is soccer, and I I am now fully committed to being a fair weather soccer fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I reckon I'm good on that. <laughs> At least, definitely women's soccer. Yeah. What about you, Emily? What's your bright spot? 
my family all came to Sydney and we spent some time in the Blue Mountains doing Blue Mountains things, walking around. Blue Mountains things. Yeah, I mean, that's probably got weird connotations as well. But by that, I mean wandering around Lyra and uh, going to the Three Sisters and Scenic World and standing in lines to cross the valley in lots of different ways and up and down the train. So, yeah, it was a really lovely weekend. And, um, yeah, we got, like, amazing weather for it, which is surprising in the mountains in winter. So, you know, it was double digits and sunny both days. Amazing. And, um, yeah, it was like we couldn't have got this better and it didn't like drop below about three degrees so it wasn't even like freezing cold in the morning really pleasant really nice yeah have i yeah have i shown you my cool. photos of when i went to see the three sisters no it was foggy i could barely see if i stretched out my arm i could barely see my fingers <laughs> we have we have <laughs> photos of just us standing on the lookouts against this solid gray wall of fog <laughs> oh that's so funny tonight we're talking about racism in the trinity so this is like pretty full-on so i think what's the worst sermon illustration you've ever heard for the trinity well i well okay let's go there that's pretty funny because <laughs> i've got i've got i've got a pretty funny answer for you on that ironically. i want to hear it okay so it was like a bailey's milkshake so okay. it's like tell the bailey's me more ice cream and milk, and then it goes in the blender. It's like three different things, but it all comes together to make something delicious. I think that was kind of the thing. It was sort no, of. T- I don't exactly remember it. I remember being about the like Trinity works. <laughs> no, I don't know. I can't remember exactly, but it was like what was it? Perichoresis was the term. So it's like that idea of like the three in oneness. Yes. Or something. Yes. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. So it was like sure. that kind of thing. And I don't know for some reason that was the illustration that was used. But then there's also the egg. <laughs> The egg analogy is the other one. What's the egg like analogy? I don't the shell, know. Oh. The shell, the yolk, and the white. They're all separate, but they're all together to create the one thing, but they're all their own thing as well. Kind of. I don't know if it's really I like, like that better for how I understand yeah. the Trinity. I like that more. I like that I more than the really- milkshake. I don't really remember the whole, like, it was like a YouTube video yeah. and, like, quite an old one. Yeah. So I, like, don't really remember yeah. that. But I just remember that being a thing and being like, that's a bit of a weird illustration, but also kind of, like, here for it. No, I don't, I don't, I don't hate that one. It's, this, so <laughs> this is, this is a, um, an example of, of Terry Pratchett's concept of, uh, lies to children, which is not actually exclusively, <laughs> uh, lies that we tell children, but is this idea of, like, we, we simplify the truth. So and, yes. and it becomes a gateway to more complicated truth, and so yes. that's it's a pretty good lie to children. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The what the classic one that I'm aware of is um, the you know states states of water, uh, st- steam, water, and ice, all are water, but they're all distinct. It's not a good illustration because. You, something can't be steam and when ice together, at the same time. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you you can't you can't have all three present at once. Well, you can, but you yeah. Anyway, you got to be a waterbender to do it. You got to be a waterbender to do it. Again, the limitations of metaphor and uh, and lies to children, but they get us somewhere at least in the ballpark of thinking about the concepts. Absolutely. I guess my other question was going to be like, when do you first do you first remember learning about 
the Trinity at all. I honestly don't. Or do you just, has it just always osmosis. just been like yeah. a thing? Yeah, osmosis, yeah. yeah. Which my wife would correct me on because it's not osmosis because it's not um, using water as the medium. The semi-permeable membrane? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, if you come back, if you it's come diffusion. back to your water analogy, states of water. Yeah. <laughs> she tell she tell me it, I've learned it through diffusion. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. She's not wrong. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah, she's absolutely accurate. Um, yes, I always love when I get the questions in Sunday school about mm. about the. Oh, I had one a couple of year, or year or so ago now. It was like so. It was along the lines of, so what's the deal with God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus? How are they all different but all the same? Mm. And I was like, oh, boy, to, like, the seven-year-olds. Um, Surely the answer to that is yes. <laughs> well done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Basically, it was like, well, this is kind of it. But also, so I think I gave the egg analogy and be like, it's kind of all, they're all different, but they're all the same and they're all together. Yeah. And don't worry if you don't understand it. Plenty of adults don't really understand yeah. it either. Yeah. So you're in good company. Yeah. No one really truly has a perfect understanding of the Trinity. And part of the mystery. Yes. And a perfect understanding isn't the thing that is life-giving and moves us forward towards a greater understanding of God, yes. as we will explore through this chapter. <laughs> it's, oh, absolutely. It's not, it's not about having a perfect uh, systemic theology of the Trinity. It's about how that theology acts as a story to inform and shape us. Yeah, we're going to be exploring some more of the Trinitarian theology, but then also its connection or Gary's understanding of that and how it connects to or how it is almost, I guess, not connecting to racism, but how it's the antithesis of mm. racism. Yes. Is that a fair way to say that? I think that? that's a very I think that's a very like fair way of saying that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. What does um, what does the the existence and the presence and the reality of the Trinity have to say to the issue of racism? Yes, yeah. exactly right. Um, and so he kind of opens this chapter with, um, you know, rec what Reconciliation Week is. So it's the week sort of between May and June or May 27 to June 3rd, um, which kind of is bookended by the Marbo decision or the, uh, the commemoration of the 1967 referendum um, mm -hmm. and also the Marbo decision in the 90s mm -hmm. in the High Court about native title. Um, and... Interestingly enough, that kind of coincides with one of these feasts, which is sort of more thing in, I guess, high Anglican Catholic traditions where it's a time of remembering either certain saints or certain – it's almost like a heightened time of remembering these certain important aspects of our faith and theology and maybe part of our history as well. It's like how um, every Christmas so sort of, we tell the same stories and we do the same kinds of services, but you're doing it throughout yes. the year about things that aren't yes. just Christmas. Yes, aren't Christmas or Easter. Yes, exactly right. Mm -hmm. um, and he sort of shares or talks about how, oh, well, then in 2013 with Adam Goods being called an ape and different things like that, which I was like, was that 2013? For some reason in my brain that was more recent than that. But then again, 20, I don't know why I didn't. 2013 exactly was 10 I, years but, ago. I know. That's I was wild. in line and I'm like, that's horrifying. Yeah. Um, and just, 
his experience then, he goes on to share a couple of his experiences of um, racism and when he himself has experienced racism. Mm. And I'm going to share one of his stories um, and I want to frame this bit of the conversation and preface it by saying I am a, you know, um, I don't know, Euro or Anglo-European sort of European Australian um, and therefore this is not my story, it's Gary's and I want to highlight that but also then sort of, I guess for me it's an us maybe, is flipping this conversation and going, okay, how do then we, when we hear racism and different things, how are we responding to it in the spaces we are and how I guess then also touching back on our conversation from last fortnight, how are we doing that work of reconciliation with the people in our circles that might not be as exposed to these things or be unaware or beat these um, things of issues of racism and different things uh, might be blind spots. So how do we sort of engage in that space? So I'm going to start all of that to say, I'm going to start reading on page 48 in the second paragraph quote on April 3, 2013, I Gary went for a drive with my wife's extended family in Northeast Tasmania along the coast road between Linatira Country, Birdport, and Tebracuna, Mel- uh, Muscle Rose Bay, where we were able to clearly see the island of the Forno Group to the immediate north. This is the part of the state that I love very much, not least because it is my ancestral home. I am a direct descendant of the clans who lived their lives long in this, uh, along this coastline for more than 35,000 years prior to European occupation. As we sped past the sacred mountain pre-Minhanga, Mount Cameron, where the clans traditionally gathered for trade, council, and sacred ceremony, one of the members of the family initiated a conversation about this ceremony, uh, one about the cent- oh. One member of the family initiated a conversation about a live dispute between a local church and a neighboring Aboriginal center about the placement of a fence. He observed the Aboriginal community in question was probably made up of people who had come from other parts of the state because there were no Aborigines in our town when the settlers arrived. I informed him that a number of the Deverills were involved in the Palawa community in his town, to which he responded, and I quote, Oh, the Deverills are as Aboriginal as I am. Since his family member's ancestry ancestry is strictly European, I assume that what he meant is that the Deverills, myself included, are not really Indigenous of Tasmania at all, and that our claims to the contrary, therefore spurious at best. I confess that I was rendered quite speechless, which, as I have already written, is not a condition I am used to, not at all. This incident raised yet again a question I have been dealing with my whole life. In what sense can a white-skinned and red-haired lad from Sheffield, Tasmania, who, incidentally, happened to have an Irish-Norman family name, claim to be Aboriginal. If Aboriginality is not primarily about the colour of one's skin and keeping the keeping intact of traditional national notions of blood, culture and habitation, then what could possibly remain? I will not rehearse here the history of colonialism in Tasmania. Others have done that very well. Lyndall Ryan, Ian McFarlane and James Boyce among them. 
I simply want to repeat the contemporary Aboriginal identity is not primarily about dominance of a particular biological inheritance over and against others, nor is it about the preservation of pre-colonial tribal way of life. Aboriginal identity is about the uh, perseverance of a sense of Indigenous being embedded in a deeply ontological sense of belonging to kin and country over and against the will of the dominant culture and society that has systemically sought to erase these things. Given the devastating success of the colonising will, especially in places like Tasmania and Victoria, this means that Aboriginality is most often preserved in the form of a memory and a deep-down sorrow penetrating to what has been lost or stolen, land, kin, dreaming. A sorrow that is manifested in various forms of grief and mourning, but also in the search for justice, which these things might be returned or at least partially recovered. End quote. So, yeah, this part of the chapter, yeah, really got me thinking about that idea of, okay, so, well, firstly, this idea of Aboriginality and what it is, because um to me that's never really been something that i've thought to challenge or question about someone's aboriginality based purely on how they look because i grew up in a place where there were lots of indigenous people and um went to school with people who were indigenous but not well or exactly how gary describes himself being fair skinned and red hair. So it's sort of like that's never been a question for me in terms of someone's indigeneity being purely a physical thing. Mm. Mm. Um, So, but I can absolutely see how that would be so challenging when people can question that because they don't see you as they see pictures of people from, I don't know, Rural communities in Arnhem Land, yeah, or, or historical even, photos, or yeah, yeah, of missions or things yeah. like that. Um, but it really got me thinking about okay, so in those situations where I hear racism mm. towards Indigenous people, mm. am I willing to call it out? Mm. Am I willing to? share that countercultural narrative to the one that's being presented um and even just like when and how do i do that as well mm. um because that's something i've yeah really wrestled with with various different issues it's when do i do it when do i when do i speak up when do i stay quiet when do yeah. i sometimes it's about when do i have the energy to do it as yeah, well yeah absolutely um, but also there's a bit of me that goes it's a bit of a cop out saying I don't have the energy when, you know, for our First Nations brothers and sisters, they don't get the choice of when mm. they get to cop out of it. Like, yeah. or they don't get the choice to say, no, I don't want to have this conversation right now. Yeah. They, there's almost an expectation that they always have something to say or share, yeah. even if you don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. In these issues. Which is something that we've talked about throughout this series and is something that Gary talks about. Uh, in this chapter, they're just, it's mm. exhausting. And I, you know, quoting Gary and imagining 
on people's behalf with a bit of empathy. Yes, it must be embar- uh, embarrassing. It must be exhausting to mm. constantly have to justify yourself. And for people like Gary who don't, quote, unquote, look Aboriginal, uh, mm. exhausting to to justify your own existence. Um, mm. Yeah. Um, which I think nail on the head, Emily, does then- for us uh, here tonight, raise the question of how are we, what what are we doing to help that situation or what in mm. what ways are we able to help that situation? Um, mm. Which is not an easy question, which is not an easy thing. No. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, I think none, none, of, none of us want to be that guy. You know, who's just, oh, my goodness, Emily just will not shut up about stuff. You know, you can't say anything around Emily because uh, she'll just be a pain she'll about it. jump on her social justice yeah. soapbox. <laughs> no one wants to be that Ugh. person. Um, but I think that that question puts me in mind of stuff we've talked about uh, in earlier chapters of this book around what is the the cost of reconciliation and who bears the cost of reconciliation. And part of that is, you know, finances, land, um, power and authority. But some of that is going to be social. Um, there's going to be a social cost to doing the work uh, towards reconciliation because it is going to require soul searching and change, you know, personal change and um, that uncomfortable uh, self-examination and the examination of feeling the examination of someone else on you uh, to recognize that there is still work that you need to be doing. Um, And I don't know about you, Emily, I am perfect and I like to consider myself to be perfect um, because that feels pretty good. And I don't that like it. That can't be right. You can't be perfect because I'm perfect. Ah, well, one of us is wrong. <laughs> exactly right. And it must be you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I like thinking of myself as a good as a good person and I like yeah. to, I like to think that I have good opinions on things. Um, I get a good grade in having opinions, a thing that you can get good grades <laughs> in. Uh <laughs> But the reality is that that is not always the case, um, and it is certainly not always the case of people around me who I should I need to remember with uh, with care and empathy also like to have good opinions and think that they are getting good grades in having opinions. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, and that's where we need to come to conversations with grace and humility. And it's yeah. so such like what I've learned. Is it's like a chip away. It's not a present the ideas and the talking points and try to convince someone of a way of thinking. Yeah. Because it's just that doesn't work because no one wants to be convinced of a thing or be told that you're wrong and no. this is the right way to think about stuff. It doesn't actually create room for change and growth yeah. and actual discourse yeah. when that's the way is yeah. what I've learned. Yeah. Gotta be in it for the long haul. Yep. I think you're exactly right in terms of actually changing the minds of someone who 
says something. Uh, so, you know, for let's construct a hypothetical. You're out with mates, and one of your mates says something stupid. I think you're absolutely spot on in terms of you're not going to change that person's mind by jumping down their throat. Um, yes. But to complicate things, because you know I love complication, there is, there is also value in um, clearly and firmly calling things out when the occasion demands. Yes. Not for the person who said or did the thing, but for the people around them to, um, for, for instance, if you are out with mates and there is an um, Indigenous person with you and one of your mates says something stupid, for you to call that person out and name that that was not okay may mm. or may not change that person's mind in that moment but it does show that the indigenous to the indigenous people that you're with or that you may not be with but may just be in the same room um that someone in some way has their back at least a Mm. bit uh, which is better than nothing yes and agree with that yeah and uh, it also there's this this idea of collateral education. Uh, you may not change the mind of the person who said the stupid thing, but you may influence the people around you who are just watching the situation. Yes, because you know? that's the whole bystander effect bystander, or the bystander yeah, theory of yeah. if no one gets up and does something, no one's going to get up and do anything. But if yeah. someone does, people are more likely to back that person up. You know? Yeah situations potentially because they might be thinking exactly the same thing yeah yeah and so i'm not uh i'm not saying you know every time one of your mates says something stupid that you got to stand up and and deck them um because i don't know that that's especially healthy (laughs) but (laughs) but yeah the the question then is in 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 every moment, and we're not when you we're not going to land on an answer or a formula tonight that people can take away and apply but you know, that, that ongoing no. question of it's a bit of trial and error. Is this really. the moment to stand up and name it clearly? Or is this the moment to pull someone aside? Is this a call out? Is this a call in? Uh, or is this mm. something where I just am not in a position to respond to this today and I'm just gonna sit here awkwardly for the next twenty minutes because that is mm. a thing that happens. Yeah. And also the thing is you're not going to get it right every time because no. there are going to be opportunities you see and go, ah, and you miss it and you go, ah, I should have done that then. Or alternatively, it might be the flip side of that and go, oh, I probably shouldn't have done it in that way. Something yeah. else might have yeah. been more useful. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's the classic if you hear that I'm not racist but yeah. jokes. It's like, yes. well, actually, if you've got a, if you got a, if you got to start a joke with that caveat, you probably are being. It's probably racist. not a good start. Um, yeah, <laughs> gonna call that out there when I hear that. <laughs> um, anyway, a lot of words. Anyway, a lot of words and a lot of thoughts to say. It's complicated and hard. And if you're finding it complicated and hard in out in life, we hear you. We feel that too. Yes, because it is. Yeah. It is complicated and hard. So just to uh, simplify things a little bit further, we're going to jump into a bit of uh, Trinitarian Trinitarian theology. theology. Yeah, great. Nice. (laughs) Just to um, simplify the conversation. Uh, It's at least a little bit less emotionally loaded. So I'm going to quote from page 51, um, from the top of page 51. 
quote, It is deeply interesting to me, Gary, that the Christian feast of the Holy Trinity often occurs within Reconciliation Week. This is a day when Christians reflect explicitly on themes that are regrettably much more implicit during the rest of the year, namely the nature and mission of God as a Trinitarian communion of three persona, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The lections set down for Trinity Sunday seek to encourage such reflection. A reading from Proverbs speaks of wisdom as if she were a person, a person who cannot simply be separated from God as yet another of God's myriad creations. Wisdom is here spoken of as the very first of God's possessions, appointed from eternity, begotten of God, rather than created out of nothing. Furthermore, wisdom is a witness and co-worker with God in the act of creating the universe, a master craftswoman at Yahweh's passage at Yahweh's side. It is clear that many early Christian theologians understood this passage and its sister passages in the apocryphal book of wisdom as Jewish presentiments concerning Jesus Christ. We are all familiar with the opening at the beginning of John's gospel. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was the same as God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The true light, which enlightens everything, was coming into the world. So that's John 1, 1 to 9. Like wisdom, the word exists in the beginning with God and shares in the divine action of creating. The word, like wisdom, may be understood as some kind of emanation from God. The word, in other words, is born of God, not made by God out of non-divine material. And finally, like wisdom, the word is imagined, is imagined as the divine light which enlightens the world. Much recent scholarship concludes that Lady Wisdom is in the model of which John created the divine Logos, which became, in short order, the second person of the Trinity, the divine Son. The Son shares in the deity of the Father but cannot absolutely be absolutely identified with the Father, certainly not without remainder. Jesus is the paradigm occurrence of the Father's face and arms and voice for the material world of flesh and blood in which we live and move and have our human being. End quote. Oof. Oof, yeah. (laughs) That's good. No, I... I think possibly the only comment I can really make out of this uh, section is to encourage you, if you're not reading along with us, grab a copy of the book and actually sit down with this chapter and, and pick it apart. Um, yeah. I don't know. So you might you there. might be different than me and I find it a lot easier to read the words on the page than to uh, understand yeah. a passage like that when it's read to me. But um, Yes. But, yeah, it's a very good um, – a very good summary of Trinitarian theology in this chapter that we are now mm. going to attempt to tease apart and completely ruin. Yes. <laughs> it was so what, as I was just reading it then, the I like, so God, the word and wisdom. And it was yeah. so interesting just as I was thinking that little bit through, right? So obviously I know that passage from mm. John. Mm. I remember doing that in like a Sunday, uh, youth sort of age Sunday Bible study thing that we used to do. So 
Yeah. And I remember I remember learning that. Well, not learning it, but we sort of sat and did it because it was sort of so, oh, the word, what's the word? And it was just the idea was like substitute Jesus' name into the where the word mm. is to sort of give you the idea of who the word is and yeah. then how that then influences the rest. Yeah. So that was a really helpful when I first read that passage the first time when I'm like 13-year-old. Yeah. Um, to be like Jesus is the word. The word is with God and is God. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. Mm. But just then reading the section about wisdom as I'm sort of reading it and thinking it through, wisdom being once again part of God and from God, mm. but that being like almost, I guess, the spirit mm. of God is yeah. sort of what that is, I guess, referring to almost. Yeah. But it's so interesting because when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about the advocate, the counsellor, yeah. the, I mean, Gary talks about the spirit is like the um, the midwife and like the mm. caretaker kind mm. of thing. Yeah. And it's so interesting because like when I think about wisdom and what wisdom is and how it influences, well, at least my life, it's very much wisdom encapsulates all those things. Mm. It's about the prompting of when to talk, when not to talk, mm. when to be looked after, when to, yeah, I don't know. That's sort of where my mind went. It's like so interesting thinking about the Holy Spirit in the context of wisdom and mm. being the wisdom piece as well in God as mm. part of God mm. and that being how that manifests in me as the as a temple of, I mean, spirit kind of thing, being the indwelling place of God. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And being that direct intimate connection to God. Yes. And yeah. And your and the the conduit and experience of your understanding of God. Yes, is through the spirit, mm. through the wisdom, mm. which yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. That's good reflections. Um What what do you have to add to that, Mitch? I don't know or that I have your- very much to add to that at all. Um <laughs> <laughs> I think my my reflection on this this section um or maybe one of the things that I find really helpful about uh the the trinity and I, I'm just flicking ahead to see how much of this is going to get covered in our next section but no I think that that little bit that you read at the end about um uh, Jesus is the paradigm occurrence of the Father's face and arms and voice for the material world of flesh and blood in which we live and move and have our human being. They're, one of the things I find really helpful about Trinitarian theology is it gives us um, other ways of getting a grasp of who the different people of the Trinity are. Um, so, for instance, you know, God is spirit and no and distant and hard to sort of wrap your head around mysterious you know infinite creator you know our brains can't handle that but you can get a pretty good picture of jesus from the gospels mm-hmm. and i can understand a person and i can understand what jesus was about um and his passion and his priorities um, and things like that. Understanding Jesus gives me 
a way to understand God. I can understand God through Jesus. Whereas if there's someone else who goes, oh, actually, I've got a really, I, I just have a really good intuitive sense of who God is, um, but really struggling to marry that up with Jesus. Well, it's, you can understand Jesus by looking at God. I think most people probably find it easier the other way around like I do, but um, there's a um, theologian and podcaster who I really enjoy, Trip Fuller. He has this this saying ah, that he keeps- good on Trip. Yeah, he always comes back to your, um, your understanding of God has to be at least as nice as Jesus. And- yeah. I've always found that a really helpful way. I mean, he primarily deploys that for like trying to unpick some of the knotty stuff in the Bible and the stuff that you're like, well, God just sounds awful. You have to- un- The wrath of God the, stuff, a bit of Old Testament. That actually. kind, Often that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but throughout, not exclusive to. But no, you, have to, you have to keep working at a passage. You have to keep working on and unpicking and unraveling until your picture of God- is at least at least as nice as Jesus. And that is based on a Trinitarian understanding where Jesus and God are of that same mm. substance and of that same mission and are unique and distinct from one another while also sharing a whole set self being, mm. you know, full intimate relationship. Um so yeah, I I find that I personally find that really helpful. Um, and then same thing applies to. You know, I, I think I would be fairly safe to say that for most people, the the Holy Spirit is the the lesser known or lesser understood person of the the Trinity, particularly in our. Um, no, painting with a broad brush, but our Churches of Christ tradition, our our evangelical tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, tends to emphasize um, God and Jesus and the the Holy Spirit sometimes gets a look in. But yeah, I can I can know that I don't have uh, as strong an understanding of who the Spirit is, but know that I can lean on my understanding of God and of Jesus to get me part of the way there um, enough mm. that I can keep going, you know? Hmm. Mm. Yeah. It's always so interesting, like, thinking about who in the Trinity is the one that you're most easily connected to, right? Like, what's the natural point? Yeah. And- We don't have favourites, but we do have (laughs) favourites. Yeah. It's not even favourites, though. It's just like- (laughs) No, it's just- is the easiest Who'd way to most grasp naturally grasp the un- yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um understand yeah. and it's funny because i think at one point i probably would have said like uh probably jesus mm. but it's through then my un- like and then i think as i'm i don't know maybe sitting in some different spiritual disciplines more mm. whether that's silence and solitude or yeah. fasting or um, different types of prayer, yeah. my understanding, I think, or my personal experiential understanding of the spirit yeah. 
is changing and growing, mm. which, I mean, yep. that checks out, right, because that's, the spirit is in which. That's the aim. That's how it works. Yep. That's, yeah, <laughs> right? Um, so in that space, but but what how I know it's the spirit or that it's of God is the kinds of things that are the things that, I don't know, might be the thoughts popping into my head or maybe like an image or like a thing somewhere. It's It's the things that are of God that I know from Scripture that I know of as the character of Jesus yeah. that I have seen in those places. Yeah. So it's that. Is it as least at least as nice as Jesus? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And that um, I'm just going to quote another classic uh, theology podcast here, yeah. but one that Bible for Normal People, I think it's, yeah. mm, I don't know if it's Pete or Jared, one of them a few times, it might be Pete, has spoken about like, the stool, which is like three, I think it's yeah. like a Methodist or Presbyterian kind of understanding of maybe that's Trinitarianism as well or just like our understanding of God. So it might not be exactly, but it's like this idea that it's like you un- get it through experience with the spirit, yeah. the word, and also it's a third tradition. One, like understanding relationship. Tradition. Oh, tradition, tradition. That's which right. Which is part of that. Yeah, so yeah. our traditions. Um, yeah, so where we come from and our backgrounds in those spaces, the personal experience of the spirit in us and also yeah. then like through the Bible as well. Yeah. And that's a really, which is how I, which is for me a really helpful way of understanding God and then through that obviously the Trinity as well and how, yeah, God <laughs> speaks because it's sort of not just then relying on a doctrine or a tradition to interpret individual experience God exclusively, but not also then just going the Bible's the only way to interpret Mm. God and hear from God because actually that's the point of the spirit is for that interpersonal kind of individual relationship as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So- with all of that background and all of those thoughts, what relevance does this have to our earlier discussion of racism? Or what does this idea have to say about uh, mm. racism and reconciliation? Yeah. Um, lots, actually. <laughs> our, I, I think uh, tri- your tr- quote from Trip Fuller being, God's got to be at least as nice as Jesus is really quite beautifully accurate for mm. what Gary is about to unpack here for us. Mm. Um, from the middle of page 53, I'm going to quote. So, quote from page 53, quote, Now, it is unfortunately true that around our churches today there will be great many sermons that skip over the Feast of the Trinity and over Trinitarian theology in general because so many of our preachers simply do not have the wisdom or the wit to know what to do with it. Many, unfortunately, see the doctrine of the Trinity as something as an irrelevance, an ancient curiosity that really has nothing to say to our contemporary world or faith. Nothing, of course, is further from the truth. What such preachers fail to appreciate is that the doctrine of the Trinity, like all doctrine, is a story, a story of God and God's dealing with the world of human beings that unleashes the power to transform our despair into joy, our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh and feeling. 
The doctrine of the Trinity is shorthand, in other words, for everything the Christian faith has to offer by way of truth, justice, faith, and hope. It is the grammar out of which we may start to comprehend our world, our society, our church, and our church is the arena of God's action for forgiveness, justice, and peace. It is the divine mythos through which we might answer even the most puzzling of our human questions. Why is racism evil, for example? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What story, what grammar do we depend on to render the denigration of another person on the basis of nothing more than the skin colour or ethnic profile? As fundamentally wrong, false, evil, immoral, the usual way of answering the question in contemporary Australia is that racism is evil because human beings are equally deserving of respect and care, whatever their ethnicity, which I agree with, but if, but what if one of them were to ask, but why are more human beings being, why are human beings equally deserving of respect and care? That is a question that many Australians find much more difficult to answer. I suspect, not that, that we ask ourselves the question very much at all. I know this because Australians of the most dominant Northern European sort seem to easily put their pro- prohibition of racism aside when it suits them, which says to me that deep down, many of them don't really know why racism is so very wrong. Why did the Cronulla rioters of December 2005 chant racist slogans and beat up each, each other up? Why did the Aussie cricket fans of the Melbourne and Sydney tests of that same year make racist remarks towards South African bowl- the South African bowler, Makaya Nitti? Why does our government continue to lock up asylum seekers in concentration camps on Manus and Nauru when there is no evidence for them having committed any crime against the state? Because deep down, many Australians do not believe that the ethical junction against racism is absolute. They believe rather that the prohibition can be put aside when it suits them, when something more important comes along, like wanting to defeat or belittle a person or a group or a team that are perceived for one reason or another to be a threat. Now I'm going to jump to page 55, um, the first sentence of the last paragraph. So racism is evil because God the creator is a communion of love since all eternity and wants to include everyone without remainder, whatever their skin colour or ethnic origin, at the table of mercy and hospitality, shared forever by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now jumping to the final uh, sentence in this uh, chapter. In this story and this grammar, in this story, this grammar is indispensable, is the indispensable plumb line of care and regard and justice for the church, for human society, and for the whole creation. End quote. Ooh, so much in that. So did we get the essential conclusion there that Gary's come to in this chapter is that- To love God and love people. Yeah. Because that is the character of the truth. Yes. The reason that- Racism is evil is because our ultimate call is the whole and full inclusion of everyone and every part of everyone, including mm-hmm. skin color, ethnicity, and everything else that goes into making a person. Um, and to fall short of that is 
is is where we is anything less than that full inclusion is where our issues of of racism and um, associated issues stem from. The reason those things are bad in the first place is because our model is of God as this perfect community, this perfect group of three who fully include and love one another uh, in their entirety with without remainder. I really love that phrase in this chapter. Mm. Uh, I think yeah. you're going to remember that one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Especially for us Aussies, a real call to action in, you know, we talk about fair go and giving people a fair go, mm. but when are we really giving people a fair go and when we talk about that, are we actually talking about giving all people a fair go, or people <laughs> who look like us a fair go? Mm. Yeah. Um, how do we not only reconcile that, reality but how do we change it so we are giving all people their go mm. in all of situations mm. absolutely from here emily our how does this I, I, I we talked earlier about how um you know trinitarian theology is is complicated but ultimately its value is in the way that it shapes our thinking and our our approach to the the story that we understand the world through. So if our story is that our our God is this perfect relationship of of love and full inclusion without remainder, how then does that shape our mission or the mission that we are participating mm. in or the ways that we engage with the world or Things like that. Yeah, I forgot I wrote that down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was yeah, such a good a, question. I couldn't let it go by the wayside. No, that's excellent. Um, no, okay. So I think where this question has sort of come from for me is this idea of what's shaping, which is shaping what? Is it my theology shaping my missiology or is my missiology shaping my theology? Mm-hmm. And what is more important? So is it how we treat people and that kind of thing or is it, our doctrinal understanding of the word of God mm. um, in rigid ways that then shape how I treat people. So I know for me naturally my missiology 110% shapes my theology. So how I see I want to treat people in a way that I see Jesus treating people or yeah. always coming back to, you know, the golden rule of, love God, love others, and what does it look like to love others even, you know, when it's hard or looking at um, 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about, that's 1 Corinthians, um, talks about unity and diversity within the body Mm. and the body of Christ being diverse and how do we then work that in a way that is reflective, I guess, of the the triune God and how... Mm. We can better express this example of community in the places we are in. Don't always see that in churches or religious institutions. Um, And, yeah, how do we, even as congregations, as groups of people, reconcile that? And what do we need to do to, I guess, maybe repent and look at, changing how we 
do community in a way that becomes more like Christ, more like mm. more like the Trinity, like God, yeah, more like the Trinity, yeah. yeah. How do we how do we better work towards communities where we fully love and embrace each other with no remainder? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. that's that's the goal. That's our our model. That's our you know. We are we are Christians. We are little Christs. Our aim is to be mm. as much like Jesus as possible, and this mm. is how Jesus loves. So let's go work out how we do it, mm. <laughs> and work it out again and again and again every day. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mitch, what are you going to take away from? This chapter. Mm. I don't think it'll surprise you based on the last uh, few minutes of conversation, but that idea of loving without remainder, I think is going to stick with me and just continue to wrestle over um, how, how best to love people without leaving any part of them out. Um, love them, mm. including their skin color and their ethnicity and their background and their circumstances and their yeah how do we love how do we love people without leaving without demanding that they leave parts of themselves out so that they can at the door so that they can be loved but Mm. loving without remainder instead yeah i think that's that's gonna really stick with me what about for you emily look not to piggyback off your uh, takeaway. They're probably the same (laughs) Mm. um, with a healthy dose of that first section we spoke about. Mm. um, Speaking with conviction and being convicted to as well. What that looks like and how that works Mm. will be another hint. It's good. Very good. So, Mitch, do you have a prayer for us tonight? I do. From Gondwana Theology, from the Christian Eucharist from Gondwana at the back of the book, page 76. Blessed God, ancient spirit of Gondwana, you are the one in whom we live and move and have our being. You are the one who nurtures and feeds us with the pure nectar of our ancient faith. One God forever and ever. Thanks for listening Amen. to Reading Mission, a podcast by Embody. If you enjoyed this conversation, please so rate and review us so more people can reading find us. In two weeks and make sure time. you subscribe so you never miss an episode. In two weeks Every time, episode of Reading Mission is recorded live in our Discord server. So if you want to join in the live discussion and connect with other people exploring mission, justice, and social change together, head to embody.org.au slash Discord to join in. Embody is a national community of young people passionate about mission locally, nationally, and globally. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Embody.au. 
visit our website at embody.org.au. We'll talk about this when we get all to it. It's interesting. Not all of it is Embody for is part of you the global and I, Asian Party's really. family. Uh, we are, we, are we respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners to us, but there is heaps in there. And pay respects to elders for past us and present. Anyway, we recognise um, their continuing connection to land, water, and culture. Music in the show is by Josh. We'll catch you next time. And thanks for listening to Reading Machines. Until September. And we are no, extremely excited. So, if so you excited. would like to take part in the Safe Water September Challenge and give up all of your non-water drinks for one month to raise money for life-changing safe water projects in Zimbabwe, Vanuatu, and Bangladesh, head to safewatersepember.org.au. There's still plenty of time to sign up. If you sign up, you'll also get an awesome little reward pin just for signing up. Um, they look great. They've just arrived in our Adelaide office in the last couple of weeks and have started going out to people. If you're already signed up, keep an eye on your mailbox. You might be receiving a, a little package from us soon. Um, and also encourage you to uh, be one of the first 100 people to sign up and raise $50 on your personal profile to get yourself one of our 10-year drink bottles uh, that have the same amazing design on them. Um, I've got mine here tonight. And it's great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, so good. I'm mocking Emily because hers hasn't arrived in I the know. post yet. It'll probably, it arrived, yeah. by the time this goes It'll out, she'll probably have it. But uh, oh, I got mine so first. <laughs> I know. So, yeah. Have a life-changing impact this September by just drinking water. Safewatersepember.org.au. And, uh, yeah. We'll see you back here in two weeks' time for our final episode of Gondwana Theology. Yeah, we'll see you next time. <laughs>